Camera Action Movie Podcast. On today's show, we'll be reviewing Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. This podcast contains spoilers and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Movie Podcast. I am Mike Winkler. Um... Today, I'm going to be reviewing uh, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, and as you'll notice today, I am on my own. Um, I'm going to be doing some reviews by myself without Jason Kabasik, because um, there'll be some movies that I haven't, or that he hasn't seen that I have, and I want to be able to um, give you those reviews so you guys can get you know my feedback and what our feedback on this podcast is. So, uh, Jumanji, uh, this was a movie um, that I grew up watching as a kid. Uh, this movie's from, I believe, 1995, the first film, and I remember being six years old and seeing this film and being enamored by the special effects and the story of a board game coming to life. And in a way, it was a little frightening because, you know, when you're that young, you play a lot of board games, so you instantly, you know, as a kid, feel frightened that might happen to the game that you play. Uh, this was one of my favorite Robin Williams movies, too, as well. Um, he's done so many comedies, but in this movie he got to play a little bit of comedy, a little bit of seriousness. Um, and I loved that movie a, a great deal. And when I heard this film was coming out so many years after the first film, I thought, how's the sequel going to work? You know, Robin Williams passed away. You know, the, the kids are all grown up. How are they going to do this? And when they casted Dwayne Johnson, I instantly thought, okay, you know, solid for a lead. Let's see what they're going to do with this. And I'll be honest, when they started casting Jack Black and Kevin Hart, I started getting very concerned. I kept thinking, oh boy, here comes a reboot that's going to go for all comedy, no seriousness. It's going to, you know, change everything from the first film, and it's going to be a complete reboot, all redone everything. Well... Dwayne Johnson came out in an interview sometime later and said that this was a true sequel to the first film. I kept thinking, okay, how exactly is this going to work? And then I saw the first trailer. And I thought, okay, this looks entertaining, but still looks like it's a little too comedic and not enough seriousness. Um, and finding out more about the plot, finding out that you know Dwayne Johnson, Jack Black, and Kevin Hart were playing these video game characters based upon these younger kids that get sucked into the game, kept thinking, okay, this is an interesting storyline. See how they're going to make this work. So as reviews started coming out for the film, started getting good buzz, good reviews, and I thought, okay, maybe they did this properly and did this right, but I was still a little skeptical the movie was going to be too humorous, not going to feel enough like a sequel, and was going to feel more like a reboot, even though they said that it was a sequel. So, uh, I go in to see the film, the film opens up, and immediately I am very happy because the film opens up exactly where the first film ended. The first film ended with the Jumanji board game washed ashore from, from the ocean or the water onto the, onto the beach, and at the end of the first film we saw footsteps or feet walking towards the game on the beach. Well, this film opens up exactly at that point. The Jumanji game is buried in the sand on the beach. A kid walks up, takes the game, takes it home. So immediately I'm already relieved that this 
is already playing off the first film and already feels like a sequel. So um, so as the, as the film builds up, the kid takes the game home, doesn't like board games because it's the year 1996, so we're in the age of PlayStation, and that's exactly what he's playing, so board games are not his thing. So he goes to sleep at night, and the game evolves and changes into a video game cartridge. Now, this was an interesting, a very interesting angle for the producers and, and the writer and the director to come up with here, because they needed to do something different other than the board game again. And it would have been very difficult for, you know, a video game just to be found, because it would have been like, well, where, you know, where this video game all of a sudden come from, you know? So they did a good job of basically giving the game a mind of its own and transforming itself into this game cartridge. So I found this to be a very interesting angle and very successful angle as well. So after we get this, the the kid wakes up and sees the cartridge, puts it in, turns the game on, and we don't really see what happens to him. We assume that he's playing the game, gets sucked into the game, whatever. So here we go, 20 years later, and we focus on this geekier-looking kid. His name is uh, Spencer, and he's playing video games, much like the other character was 20 years ago, except this time he's playing Xbox One or PS4 or whatever, as video games have evolved over time. And he goes over to his computer, and he's typing up an assignment. At the time, we think he's just doing his homework. His mother comes in, is going to leave, and we think he's just, you know, doing his homework quickly because he wants his mother to see he's not just playing video games. Turns out, he is doing this homework assignment for the character of Mouse. Well, not Mouse. Mouse is what Kevin Hart's character is, but this character goes by Fridge. He's this black football player, and we later find out that him and uh, Spencer and Fridge were were friends. Uh, Fridge becomes a popular football kid while Spencer's still geeky, so Fridge is kind of ignoring him, and Spencer's writing this paper for Fridge, so therefore he doesn't fail his classes, and get dropped out of the football team and fail his classes. But it turns out Spencer's actually doing this for him, not because Fridge is bullying him into it, but because he wants his friendship back with him, because they haven't been friends in, I think, three or four years or something like that. So as we go on... We meet high school girls. Our first high school girl we meet is Bethany, who is the popular goody-goody-two-shoes girl. She's taking a picture of herself for Instagram in the morning, putting herself up, acting like she just got out of bed. She's the type that FaceTimes in school, doesn't care what the teachers think. She's all about being popular and how she looks and how pretty she is and what guys she's with. She gets detention because she's FaceTiming with her friend in class, talking about the boyfriend that just broke up with her. Next, we meet a... Another geekier type girl named Martha, and she is in gym class and refuses to play the sports because she thinks it's a waste of time. Now, she gets herself in trouble because she's basically accusing the gym teacher of that's all you can do, and she, you know, basically insults the gym teacher, so she gets detention as well. As we come back to Spencer and Fridge, the teacher finds out that Spencer did plagiarize or 
Goldfridge did plagiarize Spencer's old paper and that Spencer wrote it for him, so they both get detention. So this leads to them in a detention room and we get a sequence where they find the video game system with the Jumanji cartridge in it from the old kid's house. The only issue I had with this scene is that we never really find out why the game ends up in this school school room. I, I'm not really sure why the game system ended up in there. Maybe the parents donated it to the school. Not really sure why you donate a video game system to a school unless they're going to do some kind of garage sale-ish type you know, sale or whatever it is. Anyway, it's not explained. Not that it really needs to be, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense unless you let your imagination go with it. So, whatever the case may be, the kids hook up the system and they are sucked into the video game. Spencer becomes Smolder, Dr. Smolder Bravestone, who is played by Dwayne Johnson. Fridge becomes Franklin Mouse Finbar, played by Kevin Hart. Martha becomes a martial arts expert named Ruby Roundhouse, played by Karen Gillian. And then finally, the funniest part of the whole movie, Bethany the Popular Girl becomes Professor Sheldon Shelley Overton, played by none other than Jack Black. Now, before I proceed any further, let me just make it clear that Jack Black steals this film through and through. Jack Black has to play, you know, a 16-year-old girl, and he has to pull it off with the same kind of talking, lingo, language, body, chemistry, you know, and he's got to act that way. And it can't be the easiest thing to pull off, but I will tell you, Jack Black not only pulls it off, but he's the funniest part of this whole movie, and he steals the movie from everybody, Kevin Hart included. And it's hard to steal a comedy film from Kevin Hart, because Kevin Hart is hilarious, and every movie he's in, he basically steals it from somebody else. But in this case, it doesn't go that way. Jack Black steals this film. I'll get more into him later on as I proceed forward. So as we go forward, we meet a, a guy named Nigel, and he pulls up in a truck and brings all of them in while they're trying to figure out what's going on, and they don't know who they are. And he's explaining about a ruby that was lost... And, and grabbed by the villain of this film, and that Jumanji is now cursed, and the only way they can get out of the game is to get the ruby back, put it back at the top of the Jaguar's Eye Mountain, scream out Jumanji, and they get to go home. You know, at this time, all four of them are trying to figure out what's going on. They don't know what to do. They, they, they get there in a game, but they don't get who they are, why they are who they are, how are they going to get this game successfully, and then on their arms they have three dashes that equal three lives like you would in an old video game, essentially. So as the film proceeds here, um, they one of the funny scenes is they, they go through this part where they basically tap where their heart is and they get to see their strengths and weaknesses. Of course, Dwayne Johnson doesn't have any weaknesses. That fits him, right? I, I, exactly. Um, Kevin Hart, he is just simply the guy that hands the rock his the guns and he can barely run. But one of his weaknesses is cake. Now you're thinking, cake. Cake's a weakness? Well, there's a joke that's played in later in the film that is actually really, really hilarious, and, and, and this comes back full circle later. Um, but one of Kevin Hart's weaknesses also is agility and strength, which is something that Fridge, you know, basically is in real life, being a football player. 
so he's not used to being the weak guy that has to be the sidekick to Dwayne Johnson, who's his geeky friend. Um, Karen Gillian's role as Ruby Roundhouse here is is also very, very good. She plays the withdrawn, geeky girl persona very well. Um, but, you know, the thing of it is here is that the way she looks is the opposite of who Martha is. Ruby Roundhouse is a hot-looking chick. She's wearing a half-shirt, which is also, you know, a joke that's played up throughout the film, which I thought was a very nice touch because you get a lot of controversy from people and about, you know, why are women always resorted to looking sexy in a film. But, see, the film plays this joke up on purpose. It's done purposely. This is a running joke throughout the film. So don't get easily offended by it. This is There's a reason why it's doing that way. It's not being played up just for sex appeal. Um, so they proceed along here. We also get a villain played by Bobby Carnival. Uh, it's weird seeing him play a, play a serious role. I'm used to seeing him in a lot of comedies. He also he, he always plays the, the asshole role in a lot of comedy films, but you never really see him play a more serious villain role. And in this, he does. And he plays it pretty well, too. And, and I, I was actually... Uh, I saw this film with my mother, and uh, she's a huge Dwayne Johnson fan. And... Um, She's watching this villain, and there's scenes where bugs are going in and out of his ears, a tarantula on him, and he, a bug comes out of his mouth. Of course, she's grossed out by it. So for little kids, you know, it's something that might freak them out a little bit in this movie. I mean, this movie is still PG-13, so it's not a full-on PG-rated film. So be wary, parents, that there is some stuff in this film that might make kids jump, feel a little creeped out, might give them some nightmares. So be forewarned by this, but the film still has plenty of laughs, and it's very enjoyable, so don't let that scare you away if you're not really too worried about it. Uh, so as we continue through this, um, along the way, the group is losing lives through various means when they're completing um, all these game levels. Uh, Fridge and Spencer get into this fight, which results in Fridge pushing Spencer over the cliff, which makes Dwayne Johnson lose a life. He's the first one, not the first one, the second one to lose a life in the film, because Jack Black, early in the film, gets eaten by a hippopotamus in a very comedic scene as well. So there's a little bit of tension between them because of them not being friends and such. So um, this is all played up very well by all, all the actors here. They're they're playing roles that are completely out of out of their comfort zones, and they all do this very very well. Um, so as we continue along, uh, later in the film, as we jump around, we get numerous uh, game levels. We get a snake snake scene and stuff like that. The pacing of the film here is moving pretty well. Um, there are the film does hit some slow moments here and there, but nothing that overly hurts the film as a whole. So as we cut along, about 25 minutes into the film, they are rescued by a pilot named Alex, who's actually a pilot named Jefferson Seaplane uh, McDougal or McDonough, I think his name is, and he saves them from uh, the clutches of the bad people. And he's actually played by Joe Jonas. Now, I know immediately what you're thinking. Joe Jonas, you wouldn't really think of him being, you know, an actor in a film. I mean, he's not the first person that comes to your mind. But he actually plays this role pretty well. And I can see him acting in future movies. He's, he's, he's very enjoyable in this role and uh, fits the role perfectly. We later find out that he ends up being um, the kid that got sucked into the game 20 years ago that grabbed it off the beach. Which I, it, it's, it's, the movie plays it up where it seems like a shocking moment, but I knew when they found him immediately that he was going to be that kid. It, it was predictable. It, there was nothing unpredictable about it. You'll pretty much figure that out, you know, right away, right off the bat. So um, 
But the interesting part here is that he takes them back to a treehouse he's been living in. And this is where we get our nod to Robin Williams, his character Alan Parrish from the first film. Engraved in the treehouse is, I believe, Alan Parrish was here. And it turns out this is the treehouse that Robin Williams' character was staying in when he was trapped in the jungle in the first film. Uh, Alex basically tells them that, you know, this is the treehouse that Alan Parrish stayed in. This is why I'm staying here. This is his treehouse, not mine. So it was a nice little friendly nod to Robin Williams. I would have maybe liked a little bit more, but I did appreciate the fact that they did include him in this film somehow. So we proceed along to a few more action sequences. Uh, one in a helicopter that actually is a very good sequence. There, there is some mediocre CGI in this film, mind you, especially some of the animals and stuff, but I felt like the helicopter sequence was the best CGI the film had to offer, um, especially a scene when Dwayne Johnson's hanging outside the helicopter having to fix it, and they're flying on the ground away from, from some rhinos. That was a very, done, very well done CGI scene, I thought. Uh, compared to some of the other sequences in the film that are just kind of mediocre at times as well. Um, I believe the film only had like a 90 to $110 million budget. So, I mean, the, the film wasn't a huge budget. I thought maybe the effects could have been paid attention to a little bit more, probably considering a lot of the budget went into the talent in the film rather than the effects. But it's not something that's going to ruin your enjoyment of the film either. Um, so we get to the final act of the film. They arrive at the statue. Uh, we get a fight scene. In this this you know goes on for I mean about a good solid eight to ten minutes of a sequence. We also get sequences where actually one of the funniest parts of the, of the film is when um, Spencer really likes Martha. Martha really likes Spencer, which is Dwayne Johnson and Karen Gillian's characters. And uh, there's actually a kiss scene in the film where they don't know how to at all, and it's and it's played to perfect comedic perfection here by these two because. These two are not supposed to kiss each other, and they don't play it into an immediate situation where, oh, they just know how to. They, It's a sloppy kiss, and that's the way it should be. So this, that was also one of the sequences of the movie that I found to be very, very funny. Um, go back to the final act. So at the end of the film, of course, you know they get the stone into the statue, and they get to go back into the game. Spencer thinks about staying in the game and asks Martha to stay with them, but she basically tells him, you know, no, let's go back and let's be who we are, who we were in here out there. So they ultimately end up going back. And uh, they all get home. Now, they notice that Alex is missing from the group, and they don't know where he is. So as they're walking home, they go past the uh, the freak house, they call it, which was all run down before they left due to the kid missing, and the family kind of got depressed and let everything go. So as they're passing ha- the house now, they're noticing the house is all brand new. Or not, looks all brand new. There's Christmas stuff up and this and that. And the uh, the eldest... Uh, freak, uh, Alex's father. He doesn't look like an old man no more. He looks kept up. And Alex gets out of the car with his kids, and it turns out now he's an adult. He had returned in 1996 when he got sucked back in, out of the uh, out of the game, much like Alan Parrish did in the first film. And history ended up being changed for him. He ended up getting married, and he ended up naming his eldest daughter Bethany after uh, after Bethany here because she learns a lot of life lessons throughout the film. And um, he, she's very attentive to him in the game and saves his life. So Alex names his daughter after her because it saved his life and never would have got a chance to do that. 
So at the end of the film here, Spencer and Fridge, you know, they become friends again. Bethany becomes a better person and ends up um, becoming, you know, nice to everybody and doesn't care what the popular girls think of her anymore. And Martha and Spencer get together officially outside of the game. The very last sequence we get is that we hear the Jumanji drum beats again. They go in the back of the school, destroy it with a bowling ball, and destroy the game for good so no one can play it again. So we get to the end of the film. That's it. Some people might say, well, this ends the franchise. They destroyed the game. Not necessarily. Um, after thinking about this for a while, they destroyed the game cartridge. To me, the game board box still exists because Alex found the game cartridge inside the Jumanji box. So the box was still intact. So the game could transform again from the box into another game of some sort. So we could still get a sequel here, and I've heard some sequel ideas, you know, tossed around and such. So we'll see what's going to happen with that. I'd be very interested to see how they're going to uh, continue that. So, all in all, my opinion of this movie is, um, I ended up being very surprised. Because I really thought this movie was going to be too comedic. Uh, be played up too much for laughs and not feel like a worthy sequel to the first film. But I'm pleased to say that it does hold up very well and works on a comedic scale and a serious scale. And it definitely deserves a spot next to your shelf as a worthy sequel um, to the first Jumanji. Um, there are some pacing issues here and there. Like I mentioned before, I felt like there were certain spots that dragged the film down near the middle. Um, so, you know, but uh, the movie runs about two hours even. movie probably could have cut maybe five or ten minutes and still worked. But, again, those ten minutes don't hurt the overall enjoyment of the film as a whole. Uh, the performances here from everybody, the uh, the young kids and, and Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Karen Gillian, and Jack Black, all their performances are excellent. But like I said before, Jack Black steals his film because of the way he plays the character. He plays the young teenage girl persona so well. The lingo, the dialogue, the body movements, the body language. It, it just works so well. I really loved Kevin Hart in this film. Um, the action sequences are really well done. Mediocre CGI, except from the helicopter sequence that I thought was very well done. We won't win any awards at the Oscars for best visual effects or anything. But still, still very, very well done. Um... So as a whole, yes, I, I would say I very much uh, strongly recommend uh, this film if you're a fan of the first Jumanji or you're looking for a, a pretty good laugh. The movie provided me plenty of laughs, so that's you know all, always good um, for a film that's being billed as a comedy. But um, yeah, I, I think on an overall out of 10 scale, I get the movie a solid 8 out of 10. Um, and the only reason why I bump it down from a 9 to an 8 is because of some of the... Uh, some of the pacing issues, but other than that, um, a very enjoyable film, and I and I and I recommend you see it, especially if you're a fan of the first Jumanji. All right, so that's my little short recap of Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. Um, I hope you enjoyed this little one-on-one -on -one with me. I'll be doing some more of these here and there on some other films that I've seen on my own that Jason Kabasik has not seen. Um, I couldn't can't really tell you what film is next on our list. I know I will be doing a review of myself again where I'll be reviewing Pitch Perfect 3. That'll probably be out next week. Um, me and James Kabasik are talking about what film he and I are going to do next. Uh, 
So uh, we plan on having a review up, he and I, together within the next week and a half or two weeks. So we'll keep you posted on that on our Facebook page and such. Um, I also want to let everybody know we are now on CastBox. Uh, it's an app on your phone. You can also access it on your desktop. You can subscribe to us there. Um, I find it to be a very convenient app as well, so you can follow us now on CastBox at Lights, Camera, Action, the movie podcast, or you can search mine and Jace Kabasic's name. So uh, thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll see you on our next show, uh, probably either Pitch Perfect 3 or Jace Kabasic and mine's next review. So have a good day, everybody, and we'll see you on our next episode. This is a video game, which means we all have special skills. Why am I running so slow? That was so intense. I like can't even with this place. Watch your step in here. Maybe we're all in a coma. What? That old game machine must have elected you to us now. Get in there and save her. I'm not gonna get in there. You get in there. I got a backpack on. You don't get in water with a backpack. Everybody knows that.